So happy Sabbath. It's good to see everyone here and to see some I haven't seen for a while. Charlie and Karen, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. And those online, uh, welcome. So today, if you looked at your bulletin, the title is The Witnesses. So who are the witnesses? What's that? Right here? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I chose this story of Simeon and Anna. It's so powerful. There's so much in this story. Um, And so I'd like to begin at verse 25. And it says in in Luke here, chapter 2, verse 25. Today you're going to have to work because we don't have anything on the screen. So you're going to have to use those Bibles. But I am going to be moving along quite rapid, so you might want to write down the scriptures. Um, It says, Behold, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Well, Simeon, he was a devout man. He loved the Lord. You know, you might say he was a religious man. And if you look up that word devout, it refers to religious, but he had a relationship with the Father. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he had the Holy Ghost. You know, without the Holy Ghost, what what do we have? We have just religion, don't we? And in verse 26, it says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Ghost told him this. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation. I have a question for you. What does salvation look like to you? What does salvation look like to you? Have you seen salvation by a face-to-face encounter with Jesus? As Simeon did. He now had peace. And that word peace here in the Greek means to be set at one again. Which refers to if it's set at one again, at a one time We were at one with Christ, with the Father. Simeon had this peace because he had a face-to-face relationship, not only at that moment, but before that, because he knew God. And how did he know God? By spending time with him, by studying the scriptures. Do you have this peace? And do you want this peace? So as we continue on in this story, it just just blows my mind, though, as Simeon is holding the child Jesus, our Savior, his creator, 
and he sees him face to face. I want to have that experience. I want to see Jesus face to face. And it says, after that in verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. Jesus was prepared before the face of all the people, not just Simeon. And that includes us here to this very day. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set, is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. You know, that word set refers to time. There was a time when this was going to happen. And there would be many that would fall and rise as Jesus was to fall and rise. There would be many who will be, have to die and die to self and be born again. And it says, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. So Simeon had read the scriptures. He knew what was coming and also because the Holy Spirit had given him insight as he studied the scriptures. He was understand what was coming. And then it says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Did Mary's heart, do you think a sword pierced her soul? When she saw her son on the cross, did she have doubts that he was the savior of the world? You know, there's a twofold meaning there in this, in this verse. Because this sword that pierced through her side was her, is, is the word of God. It's a two-edged sword, as it tells us in Revelation. And Jesus is the word of God. And as she saw him on the cross, it pierced through her soul. But afterwards, she had understanding. And then, this other part of the story here. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of uh, Phanuel, of the tribe of Azure. And she was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. So after seven years of being married, her husband had died. And she had been a widow for about four score and four years. So for 84 years, she had been a widow. So she was quite aged. And... um, which, and it says, goes on and says, which departed not from the temple. So what was she doing day after day, even at her age? She would, did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in, in that instant, gave thanks likewise when Jesus was there unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem, she was a witness as well as Simeon. We have two witnesses here. And you know, 
As you notice, she spoke to all them that looked for redemption where? In Jerusalem. And you know that after Christ died, there was three and a half years that the message went forward to the Jewish nation. And we know that at the end of that three and a half years, that most had not accepted it. So, there's, some, there's something I want to share with you here. And um, as I was looking at this, I decided to look up uh, Fanuel. I, I looked up in this Bible dictionary, and I looked up uh, the Greek uh, meaning. And um, Anna, well, Fanuel means, in the Greek, the face of God. And Anna means Grace. So I find it very interesting that Anna's father was the face of God, and Anna is grace. And so when you look at that, you have the father, and you have, what is our grace? Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. And so here we have another picture of the father and the son. So I just, uh, wow, that that is awesome. So... Today, I want to share with you and talk about being a witness, about God's witnesses. So who were the first two witnesses recorded in the Bible? What's that? Recorded in the Bible. Who was the first two witnesses that we can go back and see? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first two witnesses. And Adam and Eve... uh, but. They were the first two witnesses, but what happened to them? They made a bad choice, didn't they? They chose to disobey God, but they began to understand the great controversy that was going on and the plan of redemption that God had planned afterwards. They started to understand this over time. They could see it. And God told them and shared it to their children and their children shared it with their children and their children and so on and so on. So there was lots of witnesses. And over time, God's word has grown through people like you and me. Just normal, average people like you and me. And the Bible's full of them. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Ruth, the book of Ruth. And if you go to the book of Ruth and you read it, you can see the whole plan of salvation in that storyline. Because there's two stories being told there. There's a story about Ruth and Naomi and their family and Boaz and all the things that happened there. But there's also, if you look at that with a greater picture, you can see that each one of those characters represented what was going on because there's the bad person in that that was trying to kill uh, her uncle and all this stuff. And I'm not going to go into it because that's not my purpose here today. But you can read into that and see the plan of salvation in that book, which is an amazing story. But Ruth, she came into the picture because she married Naomi's uh, son. And she, after this 
her husband had died, and both of the sons had died, and the father had died in that situation, and Naomi was going to go back to Israel. Well, Ruth wanted to go with him, with her. And she would not go back. She would not stay. You know, Naomi didn't want her to go with her. And she says, you need to stay here with your family. And Ruth says, you are my family. You know why? Because Ruth saw real love. She knew the heart of her mother-in-law. And she experienced that. And I don't know what Ruth, what her life was growing up, if she had ever had a real close family connection or not. But she had a close family connection. And she didn't want to let go of that love. And she wanted to dedicate her life to her mother-in-law because she wanted to experience what and know the God that Naomi was serving. But there's... Another part of this story that I uh, kind of blew my mind too when I when I saw it, and that um, you know Ruth married Boaz, but if we go back and you know when Ruth was a Gentile person, and as and as we look back in Boaz's family tree, we find out that Boaz's mother was Rahab and her and her dad was Simon, and. Um, of course, we know that Rahab was the harlot from Jericho. And in that situation, we had two spies that came to her place. And, and I don't know what was said during that time, but they must have been a witness. And also, she, it, it comes out in the Bible that she knew and they knew of the power of God with these people. You know, because they'd heard the stories and how God parted the sea and how they had defeated these armies before they came into Canaan. And and so there was a great fear. Well, she had a fear in her heart, but she also knew that there was a true God. Because what other, their gods didn't do things like this. They didn't part seas, you know, and she she had an idea that she wanted to be on the right side of this situation, even though she didn't know God very well. But the, there was two witnesses there, the two spies. And there was a promise made that they would protect her and all of her family who was in the house. And they kept their word. And she went back with them and in, uh, in time had met Salmon. And they got married and had Boaz. And... Um, and Boaz and Ruth begot Obed, of, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begot David, King David. And through that lineage, the Son of God came. And so both of those lineages, it was a Gentile, and the other half was an Israelite. So something to think about. It's amazing. But also there were others who were witnesses like Moses and Elijah and Elijah and like the disciples and the deacons like Stephen and Lydia who aided Paul and and attended to him and his friends, you know, by a helping hand, by loving and serving. And the list goes on. And guess what? We are part of that list. And none of them had a degree, a master's degree in theology. You know, it's just normal people like you and I. 
They were people who chose to serve the Lord, like Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna, they, uh, they did not stand back and wait for someone to tell them about the Messiah's birth. They went, each one, to the temple to see for themselves because they had been, they knew the scriptures. Dedicated their lives by beholding God. So each one went to the temple to see for themselves, to see the face of Jesus, their Savior, the Christ. Daily they were looking and waiting. And as we study the scriptures and prophecies, we begin to understand and begin to be filled with the Spirit of God and see Christ face to face through his word because the scriptures is Christ. And we can get to know him. Listen, there are three articles of furniture in the holy places of the sanctuary that sustain us through his word. And the word in the holy place is the, is the uh, table of showbread, the bread of life, the word of God. Then, through prayer, we have the altar of incense where we are connected with God through prayer. Then, the candlesticks, which standing in the light of the candlesticks, we let the light of Christ shine through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the oil coming into the candlesticks that keeps them lit. In Psalm 77, 13, it says, Thy way is in the sanctuary. You know, and we could go on and we can talk about how in Zechariah chapter 4, 12 through 14, that the two olive branches in which in through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. And these are the two anointed ones. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth, of the whole earth. The Old and New Testament, God's word, the oil, the Holy Spirit. And we could also talk about and look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. And, on, and see Jesus standing in the waters, in the rivers, proclaiming the word of God. And the river represented a limited area, meaning that God's word has gone, but, but um, a limited area that God's word has gone. But in a time, there will be a greater understanding of his word, causing us to have a clear picture of his face. So it was a limited amount of space back then that God's word had gone into the earth. But as time goes on and went on, and we end up going to Revelation chapter 10, and that whole chapter, but it begins in verse 1. And here we see Jesus now 
seen again standing on all the earth by having his one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth representing the whole earth that the word of God has gone into the whole world which represents the north, east, west, and south where God's word is going. And if you take those letters, north, east, west, and south, and you put them in that order, it spells the word news. And in the context of what we're reading, it's good news. It's good news going into all the earth. But as the chapter goes on, we find out that the message was so sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the belly. If we, uh, if we look at the story of Daniel, referring to that, um, Daniel, after he had received the vision and he didn't understand it, he was sick for many days. He had this sick feeling. But as I'm thinking about this story, if God was to come to you and and an angel came to you and it shared with you what was going to happen in the future, would there be some type of excitement going on inside? I mean, as you read Daniel, find out, yeah, I mean, you know, he was excited. But he didn't understand. And so he had this sick feeling because it didn't all make sense to him how, you know, and how far out this was in the future, this prophecy. And so he was sick many days. And, you know, as we, as we eat food, and I think of ice cream. Oh, it tastes so good. Tastes so good in the mouth and how good it feels going down. But you know, if you eat too much ice cream, it can not feel so good in the belly. And, but when we see and understand the process, which is exciting, the process is exciting. The process in God's word, it can give us a sick feeling inside us. A feeling of fear and unworthiness. But God has promised us in Colossians 1, verse 23, that if, and this is a conditional, there's so many ifs in the Bible, but promises are sure. If we continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, that God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, in us. Colossians 1.27 For in him, Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Christ. That's Colossians 2, 9 and 10. And in John five thirty nine, it says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me.
And we could go on. We could go to Revelation chapter 11, 3 through 13. And his two witnesses, the olive trees and the candlesticks, standing before the God of the earth. And after they finish their testimony, the beast overcomes them and kills them, but only for a short time. But God, God's word stays true, and he always has a remnant to carry his word. And how his word went forth, revived of the spirit of life, and ascended up in a cloud, and all beheld them. The Bible reveals the face of God. It's so exciting. Because at that time, God's word had been totally thrown out almost. But there were people who still believed. They burned the Bibles in the street during the French Revolution. During that time. But after three and a half years, they figured out that this wasn't working. But God's word came back. Because it's the only way. It's the only way. So the Bible reveals the face of God, and it's so exciting. But God tells us also, and this is where we are failing miserably. In Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 24. And I'm going to tell you this story, kind of my own, my own words here. It says, a man gave an invitation to a great supper. And he had his servant, and he had him go out with the invitations to invite the people to this great supper. And he went to the first person, and he gave him the invitation. And, and the man says, wow, I just bought a piece of ground, and I must, and I must go see it. I pray that you will, you will excuse me, because I've got I to go see this. You see, I have spent my entire life working and, and struggling, and, and I've... And I've just finally maintained this property, and I've and I gotta go see it because I have something more important to do. So the servant was, goes on. And the next man says, I can't make it. He says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. And I must prove them. I mean, you can't believe the power that are in five yoke of oxen. Have you ever had a muscle car or ever had some big truck, diesel, you know, and it's got a high lift on it and it's got power? This guy had five yoke of oxen. Probably could outpull that truck. But he had to go prove them. So he had something more important to do. So next he went to this next man and he says, I can't make it. I just married a wife. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, we have all kinds of things that are more important in our lives than God. I mean, yes, we've got God over here. But we have the things that we're doing in life here. And we haven't surrendered all to God. Whether it's Oh, I've got a new child, a new baby, and we don't have time. It's going to take all of our work just to raise this child. You know, or my job. 
my job. I work hard all day long, and I just I don't have any time to spend with the kids. And when I come home, I don't have time for any of the church things that we need to have done. We are the body of Christ. And Jesus says, like he told the rich young ruler, he wanted to know what he needed to do to have eternal salvation, to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, sell all you have and follow me. Are we willing to give all we have to Jesus to follow him? Do you think that if you give your time and your money and everything to God, your faith, do you think he's going to disappoint you? Do you think that he cannot give you more than you ask for? We cannot sit idly by and watch from afar or else our opportunity will pass by and it will be too late to buy the oil. Matthew 11.30, it says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Wake up before it's too late. Wake up before it's too late to buy the oil, to have your lamps full. This is us. Can you hear? Can you hear what the Spirit is saying? Lord, forgive me and us. For we have neglected you and have put you, have not put you first, best, and last, and always in our lives. We know that most of these things are not bad in themselves. But when we put them before you, then we have hurt you. Then we have hurt you. So may we surrender all to you, Jesus. And may our joy and our delight be in doing your will. So I ask you the question, what does salvation look like to you? I have a, um, a few things just in closing here. There's about five minutes it would take. And this is a composite sketch of Jesus in different stories of the Bible. And I'm going to go through them rapidly here. So if you want to be a witness and tell about Jesus, guess what? He is the whole Bible. He is the whole word. So, like Adam, he was the son of God. And like Samuel, he was the only boy when he discovered his mission in the temple. And like Joseph, he was 30 years old when he came into prominence. And like Joshua, he crossed the Jordan to lead 12. And like Elijah, he provided drink for the thirsty. And like Moses, he entered the wilderness for 40 years or 40 days. And like Daniel, he overcame the temptation of appetite. And like Job, he refused the sin of presumption. And like the three Hebrews, he refused to bow down to the image. And like the man of God, he healed the withered hand. And like Elijah, he raised to the dead and healed the lepers. Like Ezekiel, he preached to a rebellious and stubborn people and spoke against the abomination in the temple. Like Josiah, he exposed false worship. Like Enoch, he walked with God. 
Like Moses, he repeated the covenant and sang a song before going out to die alone. Like David, he was pursued by a close friend that betrayed him and then hung himself. Like Job, he entered into a time of trouble like the Garden of Gethsemane. Like Job, he was tempted to think God had forsaken him. And like Joseph, he was sold for silver and deserted by his brothers. And like Joseph, he was placed between two men. The one was saved, the other condemned or rejected. Like Samson, he was beaten, bound, and mocked and placed between the two pillars, bowed his head, and pushed. And there was a great rumbling in his death. And he saved more in his death than when he was alive. Like Isaac, he was given up for sacrifice. Like Noah, he was lifted above the earth on wood so that all men would be drawn to him. Like Nehemiah, he would not come down for he had a great work to do. And like Job, he prayed for his enemies. Like Elijah's dead bones, many were brought to life which slept in the grave. Like Jonah, he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Like David, he delivered a deadly blow to his enemies. Like Moses, he was willing to be blotted out of the book to save those he loved, but was resurrected from the dead. Like Samuel, he was called out of his sleep to serve as priest in the house of God. And like Jonah, he stayed for 40 days. Like Nehemiah, he finished the work. Like Elijah, he was raised into the heavens. And like Joseph, he was sent ahead to prepare a place for his brothers. And like Daniel, he interceded on behalf of his people. And like Jacob, while he is away, he is working for his bride. Like Joseph, he investigates the brethren before he allows them to enter the place prepared for them. And like Moses, he will descend from the mountain on an unexpected people. Like Moses, he will part the sea and the sky as he leads his people out of bondage of the grave. And like Joshua, he will lead his people into the promised land. And like David, he will take his place as a rightful king. And like Solomon, he will reign in peace for a thousand years. And like Solomon, he will answer all hard questions. And like Jephthah, he will destroy those who cannot speak the heavenly language. And like Abraham, he will be the father of a great multitude. And like Joseph, he will be reunited with his loved ones. You see, Jesus is the center of all scripture, the snapshot of every story. When his image is reproduced in us, then he will come to proclaim his own. We'll have our closing song. <clears throat>